Welcome to Tales from the Bridge. Okay, so Marty, Kevin, Sam, and myself went to Fan Expo Canada last week, and we just wanted to recap the whole event because we did some panels with Carl Schrader and Peter Watts. We did another panel where we just had an interactive conversation with the audience members about favorite books, TV, and movies. We had an amazing weekend where we met a few people. You'll have to listen to find out what happened. So, yeah, let's just make our way over to the bridge. So Fan Expo was, I got to be honest, I think Fan Expo was one of the most fun weekends I've had in like over a year. It was uh, so fun. I keep thinking of it and I I keep thinking of even where I parked my car and I'm like, I just want to go park my car there again. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was so much fun. You landed free overnight parking in Toronto. Oh, that's right. In little Korea. It's never done. Yeah. It's the first time ever. Yeah, I agree. I, I loved it. I thought it was, I thought all of it was really good. I wish I could have seen more. I wish I had made the time to see more, but I felt good about the sessions that we did. And, and I feel like, like the people who attended enjoyed at the very least our last session. And, uh, you know, the other two, I think that they kind of enjoyed too. Um, you know, I felt good about it by the end of it. Well, let's talk about exactly what we did. How did it start off? Well, we started with Carl, Carl Schrader, right? We did a, 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 an excellent discussion of, of why we should colonize Venus. Um, and at first, I have to say, I was not entirely, I didn't really understand why Carl wanted to talk about colonizing Venus, because um, I thought this was just like sci-fi plot type thing. Little did I realize that actually this might be the most logical location for humans to be colonizing in our solar system. I had absolutely no idea. I just thought about mm-hmm. Venus as being this treasure trove of death you know with cyanide in the atmosphere and whatever 49 bar um atmosphere and but he laid out a pretty neat compelling case to go colonize venus i agree i mean i thought that was it was all new to me i'd never heard any of these things and and just that chart that he put up well just the very notion that like look there if it's 50 atmospheres at the surface there's somewhere above the surface that you hit one atmosphere uh, so that alone was an amazing insight for me. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So up in the sky somewhere, there is a, quite a benign environment, I guess. Um, or it could be fairly benign. And and I gather the gases aren't as bad as we've been led to believe um, in terms of the acid in the atmosphere. I really, the, the thing that really landed with me was his chart of yeah. of what it cost to live on Earth. You know, what's free? You know, your air is free. And, you know, which all these resources that are free and then what that you know, where, you know, where it costs everything actually associated with those, each of those resources comes with a cost on the moon or on Mars. And then when he brings up Venus, again, you suddenly you start to see free, 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 you know, like things are actually available to you that, you know, we can survive in and we don't have to actually create ourselves. And I'm doing a poor job of, of describing the slide, but that really jumped out at me. I think maybe one of you, one of you can uh, remember each of the uh, sections. I think it was like, there was air for sure pressure pressure yeah gravity and gravity. energy yeah and there's radiation protection i think was yeah. another one mm-hmm. yeah. which surprised me i i wouldn't have thought that'd be the case you know why would there Oops. be radiation protection right mm-hmm. yeah well you get a lot for having an atmosphere is really what it all comes down to and the same size so you know venus has the same gravity as earth so that's a big bonus over mars or the moon mm-hmm. and then it has an atmosphere in a way that the moon or mars don't have and that gets you a lot already, right? It gives you pressure. It gives you 
resources, gases, and it gives you this envelope to protect you against the uh, radiation. Mm -hmm. So that was a lot. But after I, I love that that graph that that table as well. I thought it really made the point very well. Um, but it was missing a column, and I realized, or uh, a row, I realized afterwards what it was, and that was real estate. Mm. So when you're on a surface, the whole point is that's real estate. The real estate comes free on the moon and on Mars and on Earth because you're standing on the surface of a planet. If you have to build air cities uh, while you get the atmosphere and all of that on Venus, you now have to create your own real estate. Right, mm -hmm. and you don't get that that surface for free anymore. So I think that might be a large counter argument. Um, you know, depending on the availability of resources and how easy it is to build sky cities um, or or these uh, rotating cylinders, right? Um, but the real estate isn't free, mm -hmm. and Basically. the wind shear, right? He he and said it's kind of yeah. unknown just how much the wind would cause would buffet these things. I thought it was cool that he said that you'd be able to take um take one of you know, uh, a starship and, and you fire your retro rockets and slow yourself down. And then at, at, a, at a boat where it's one atmosphere, a little bit below where it's one atmosphere, you're just going to float there. So if you if you, your, your spaceship becomes a bubble that floats at somewhere close to the app, the, the level that you want to be at just naturally. Um, I'm not entirely sure if that's true because there's going to be a fair amount of weight with these spaceships, but somewhere around there, um, they're supposed to just stop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's yeah, wherever yeah. the density of the whole thing is the same as the density of the air, presumably, right? And About you know, fifty kilometers, I think he right. said, right? Yeah. 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 Well, that's where it's one atmosphere. So if your if your airship is full of one atmosphere pressure, mm -hmm. then yeah, you'll float at one atmosphere yeah. roughly. And his argument for that was that you could almost treat it like a warehouse. And and if in terms of trade, interplanetary trade, let's say in between uh, different parts of the solar system, this you know, sits at a sort of sweet spot in between. And now you've also got a place to park stuff for a little while or store stuff. And, and, and I guess maybe that leads into a bit of the real estate, the sort of sky real estate. If you can sort of float things there uh, without a lot of effort, it gives you a basis to grow. I think using some sort of bamboo oh, yeah. uh, derivative, he was talking about growing <laughs> yeah. the air. I mean, it gets out there, but this is all out there, right? So, yeah. but that was sort of an interesting piece of this as well. But yeah, there is a there is a mental thing that humans would have to get around that you don't actually get to go on the surface, and there is mm -hmm. no, you know, every, all your real estate you have to make. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then he had one more amazing idea that was totally new to me, which is that, uh, uh, you know, the fastest way across the solar system is is towards the sun and past the sun uh, and so actually inner planets are more useful as as um trading posts i guess is what it comes down to it's actually easier to get from earth to venus uh or even from mars to venus i think he was saying right because depending on the orbit or even the, the asteroid belt where the planets are. yeah or even the asteroid belt yeah because you don't we think of you know mars as being closer to the asteroid belt but venus is closer if it's at the right part of its orbit um compared to mars uh so yeah that was really cool that is, I had yeah everything about that, that here yeah yeah the ideas he presented was cool and it was very cool to just hang out with carl schrader at fan expo and mm -hmm. something really yeah. neat about that too is we had a really good turnout in the room that we did this fan expo uh was really good with just uh helping us out there uh but peter watts was sitting in the crowd with us and uh that was really cool. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he came mm-hmm. up uh, just after Carl, right? He, he and yeah, and, and did his talk. Um, and and that one with Carl was a bit more Q and A. Uh, with Peter, it was a bit more. He did a talk, and then we kind of all reeled from what he said and and uh, had a few comments afterwards. But you know, Peter being um, you know, I don't know, a realist dystopian um, scientist, uh, basically laid out why humanity was doomed and and humanity yeah. was doomed because of humanity right is it, it, that is there's nothing we can do we're just gonna consume resources and we're just gonna kill ourselves so let's just not even bother with anything really he didn't say that explicitly but it, it left no. everybody feeling fairly hopeless um, well yeah yeah he he left us a little shell shock there i'd say and uh, but he set the tone perfectly with this little uh snippet from a, a, a science fiction show that he, he showed in the first three minutes which which uh he said oh this this basically summarizes my whole talk and so it's a it's a little movie about a woman with her son coming to a bus station starting up a conversation with somebody sitting there and and the woman says oh well we're taking the bus because you know we have to take responsibility for our carbon emissions and we're not going to fly to the south of france because because of all the co2 that and uh, budget and then this guy says, oh, yeah, well, if you want to take responsibility, why'd you have him? I mean, you could fly 6,000 times a year to the south of France for the carbon emissions that your son is going to produce throughout his lifetime. So the best thing you could do for the planet is slit his throat. So that's when a few of the families in the audience started getting up and leaving uh, with their strollers and small children. <laughs> and it was only after that video that it occurred to me to do a disclaimer to say, you know, the topics covered here are going to be maybe a little bit mature. Yeah. Um, and But we didn't lose people at that point either. They kind of, a few people trickled out thereafter. But most most people really, I think, in, in connected with it and, and appreciated the talk. Yeah. Well, the, well, the detail that was, Peter brought was great right like there's so much detail he'd uh, he had he's got a lot of data mm-hmm. yeah 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 and he i mean i mean his point was very much that like we're wired wrong right like our evolutionary history as humans has wired our brains to be optimists uh, uh, to some degree right and to to not take not be able to solve long-term problems very well as a collective effort uh and so we're not doing that and then the title of his talk was Horrific Solutions to the Problems Facing Humanity. So, you know, people should have... Oh, been horrific Ways it. to Save the World. Horrific Ways to Save the World, yeah. Um, and then he sort of told us that he would he would give us a summary of how bad the situation is. But he didn't... He, he sort of... That's all he did. Uh, I don't think he quite got to the solu- horrific solutions part, except to suggest that, you know, uh, our, our brains should be could be rewired to be more realistically in contact with uh you know the facts of the world by making us all clinically depressed because clinically depressed people are greater pragmatists i gather than uh, than the rest of us i think he had a couple other ones what else did he have? He also suggested uh there it, there was a, an element of parkinson's syndrome that makes you less religious and right. uh and and i don't know maybe there was something associated with that around realism it was pretty it was pretty bleak and he basically said this isn't going to happen through governments it's going to have to be you know basement hackers who come up with this and unleash it upon their world whether they want it or not you know people who can gene edit their basements and sell yeah, which, bioterrorism bombs but i think what he was trying to do was you know he he basically said somewhere along the way that like people make better decisions about solving problems when they're scared uh, and so 
he was doing us the service of making us appropriately scared. Um, and if he had sort of ended the talk with the class, you know, the sort of narrative arc finishes by him telling us, and here's what you can do, uh, you know, call nine one, whatever it is. Um, he didn't do that, right? He just sort of left it there and left us all appropriately disturbed and scared. Uh, and I think that was kind of his point. Yeah, yeah, I love that. But and then we got to go to, uh, we got to go out and eat food with him. Yeah, and talk prog rock and what? and movies. Yeah, we, he cheered up when he had some fish and chips in him. Yeah, <laughs> and beer <laughs> from a pitcher. Yeah, <laughs> first time for all of us drinking beer out of a pitcher in a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. So that was fun to do that, and then. Uh, we lost Peter when we went back into the expo to go meet uh, William Shatner. Ah, uh, yes, that was pretty cool. They, I felt like uh, cattle being. I was yep. uh, being herded through the tunnels of sheets of black sheets that divide all these cameras and people. And there was Willie sitting behind a plexiglass with a permanent smile, and us dweebs in our Tales from the Bridge T-shirts. Something that Miranda said to me was, you look happier than any of the family photos that we are <laughs> in together. <laughs> well, it was funny because they they have that down uh, pretty efficiently. You know, they get the next group of people to move up to the edge of a red line. And, uh, and then there's a very loud photographer who's yelling, ready? And you hear a click and there's a big flash going off to do a photo with them. Um, and if you listen, they're doing that ready and then click probably every eight seconds or so. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're shunting in groups of two or four people at a time to get photos with good old Bill Shatner. And, uh, um, anyway, I was, I was surprised our photo actually turned out pretty well. You know, we all managed to get in position and have a good smile and, and that, that's a generous way of describing it. I, I wouldn't say it was ready and click. It was more like, stand at the line, take <laughs> off your things, get to pose, like you, out, next. I was like, whoa, holy smokes, it was like cattle. Yeah, I'm it, surprised it, they didn't throw talcum powder on us and then a fire hose of water. Yeah, yeah it was like the first day of boot camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It did feel like that. But you managed to get, you managed to say something to William. Didn't I you? did. I happened to be first in line of the four of us, so I was walking straight up to him on the other side of the plexiglass. So I don't know if you can't tell if he actually heard me, but I did say congratulations for becoming the new poet laureate of planet Earth. And uh, that's all I really wanted to say to him. Uh, so but he didn't react at all. I don't know if he heard me. But the most important thing is my daughter was standing behind the curtain behind him. And she heard me say this to William Shatner. So that's more important. That was mm -hmm. pretty awesome. She thought I think that was pretty cool. And why did yeah. you say that to him? Why, why, why did you tell him that? Well, because he's he's the poet laureate of like when he came back from space, he had just come back from space on the Blue Origin mission, right? And he got out and he he talked very I thought poetically and and emotionally about the entire experience and and um, actually we did get to go talk to him a little bit more with Tristan later. And well, and I, I figured I that wasn't the photo with him wasn't enough for me. I wanted to get up and yeah and meet him and we did. And Marty, you got to tell him 
the same thing again, I believe. And we kind well, of just... I said the same thing again, and then I told him a little more. I just sort of thanked him for for bringing back the experience of of space for the rest of us little people, uh, instead of making it look like a joyride for billionaires, like the rest of his crew and like uh, Jeff Bezos certainly made it look when mm -hmm. when he was. I mean, he just got out of the capsule. He was clearly moved to tears. He was about to start telling us, you know, what his experience. This is an artist and a poet and a writer coming back immediately from space to tell us and and jeff bezos is like oh hold on a second let me get the champagne bottle and he like runs off and starts and he just leave he just left william shatner standing there you know like shaking his head like uh i'm trying to tell you what just happened and you guys are cracking champagne instead so anyway so i thought he was a very classy guy he handled that well he waited until jeff bezos you know got his head on straight and then he went into this, you know, what he said about coming back from space, which was that he was so shocked and amazed and surprised by how thin the, the, that blue cover uh, of our planet is, the envelope that protects us. And that, that uh, you know, he, uh, I, I went to the Q&A on Friday, too, and he had sort of said a little more about this, that, you know, as Captain Kirk, I have quite a lot of experience, at least in the theatrical realm of space, and it's always full of amazing nebula and black holes and these you know glorious giant things and that's not at all what it was up there all it was was black it was black the blackness of death and you look up and you see nothing and then you look down on the planet and you see life and blue and color and and it and you know i think what he said during the q a it really stuck with me and he you know he just drove home he said you look up the blackness of death is out there and the blue and green of life is down here and it beats and it's very obvious that we belong to planet Earth, and the planet Earth belongs to us, and um, and that's where we should be. Like uh, it was kind of amazing for our, you know, this guy that's supposed to be the spokesman for space actually ended up saying, well, you know what? I'm not sure it's worth going out there. I think we really got to focus on on life here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we also had the opportunity to harass Robert Patrick. Mm-hmm. Um, who uh may or may not come on the show and join us but he's got a t-shirt for the show we gave him a t-shirt <laughs> it may become a pajama top we'll see yep robert patrick or we won't see files and and uh and the bad guy in terminator 2 right yeah yeah he was right. t1000 yeah mm -hmm. yeah well, and he well, he's got this like like f you rest, resting face that's yeah. kind of terrifying. And you guys went up to talk to him. I was like, but he's going to, he's going to tell them where to go. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. These, <laughs> you and Marty went up and I was like, they're going to come back in tears, Kevin. You know, what became apparent to us while we were standing in that line though, is that he was the nicest guy there. Like he oh, yeah. was giving yeah. his fans so much love. He, it was really clear. Like everybody that came up to him, he spent like five minutes with them. If they didn't know how to start the conversation, he'd start it for them. He'd like, you know, talk about the picture, talk about, I don't know, where they're going to hang it. Uh, he was just really like, he was loving life. I overheard him saying to one of one of these guys that was talking to him ahead of us, uh, he, I didn't hear the question. The question was something like, so what are the difficulties of being a famous Hollywood star. Uh, and, and I just heard his answer. He was like, dude, there is no downside to this job. I love every day of my life. I've loved it for 40 years. I mean, everything is great. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I like this guy. <laughs> yeah, he was great. Actually, I, I caught a bit of his Q&A as well, I think on Sunday. And uh, he was saying that his, one of his favorite roles was the role that he played in X-Files because he was a good guy. 
he just looks like a badass dude. Like you don't want to mess with him. Um, he just gets those roles. But he, I think he would like to be a a good guy more often. I am a huge X Files fan, and I and I will say that his two years on the show were great. I you know like this is when the show was sort of falling apart at the end of seeing the end of his days as you know contract disputes sort of come in and wreck everything. But uh, he him and the partner that they brought in, I forget her name, which uh, doesn't make me that great a X-Files fan, I guess, but uh, <laughs> they were great. I would have been happy to see them in an X-Files spinoff, and it kind of was in a way, but I thought they held their own, and I was happy to to watch his episodes. Like, he was great, and which might be, I don't know how widely received or well-received those those seasons are but he saved those seasons him and uh and and uh, the other actress he was working with uh definitely and i was i would have been happy to see more of them so uh it was kind of cool to see him as an x-files fan you know uh, uh there and 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 he didn't hurt you guys so that was nice to see <laughs> and he was they were he was right beside uh william shatner and just down beside uh them was george takei right uh, if I'm mm-hmm. pronouncing that right, uh, Sulu from the original Star Trek. And for a period of time, Bill Shatner and uh, George Takei were beside each other, not right beside each other, but there was nobody between them. And I, w- right. I kept looking to see whether they would make eye contact, but because I, I, as I understand it, they're not the closest of, of buddies. Um, and nothing, didn't even acknowledge. I, I, susp- I suppose this is nothing new. They must go to these things all the time and ignore mm-hmm. each other professionally. Yeah, Yeah. I regret not going up to see George and giving him a bit of a praise or thank you because his presence on the internet is uh, well needed. I would say he says on and does a lot of good things. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then we did a session on um, uh, on the best of sci-fi. Right. This was this was the one that I was the most excited about. Yeah, on Sunday we did that, and yeah, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it seemed like the crowd really appreciated it. And, and, and I mean, how do you do a session on the best of sci-fi in quotes? So um, what we decided to do was the four of us each uh, had one recommendation of our, of a recommendation of good sci-fi. We didn't, I mean, you can't really aspire to the best of, it's so subjective, but we just said uh, a recommendation for a book, a TV show and a movie. And then we went out to the audience and we asked them what their recommendations were and why. And and correct me if I'm wrong, Tristan, but you you got that whole list that we we're going to put in the description. Is that right? I do. Yeah. So we've got lots of names of. Uh, I mean, I think we had we just had a really good turnout, and uh, there were three Toms in the crowd. So I mean, just do the math. We had we had a good turnout um, <laughs> with three Toms. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll add their names and their recommendations into the the description. Uh, there was a few. Uh, names of books tv shows and movies that i wasn't too familiar with and then a lot that i was just yeah i'm willing to stand behind that as a great recommendation so it was a yeah. good uh, audience interaction and a uh, uh, good turnout that was a really fun panel to be a part of as well so yeah i was kind of worried about how that was going to go um I mean, we'd never done this before. We submitted a description. And then I was sort of worried that, like, oh, we're not going to sit on stage for an hour and preach at people about our favorite things, are we? Uh, and, and we didn't, right? And I think we made a great decision to, like, do the 
I mean, each segment had its own audience participation. So we only spent like maybe a minute each uh, on our favorite book and then opened it to the audience. And then they came and told us about their favorite books. And then we did that again for TV shows and movies. But what I loved about this whole experience was just seeing how, I, I mean, I, uh, the, the culture of Fan Expo and Comic-Cons is very much you know nerdy introverted people who love their their stuff that they're fans of right and and these are not extroverts generally i realized right as as we were looking in the audience and yet they were they wouldn't stop coming to the microphone right they they really wanted to tell us about their favorite book and about their favorite movie and and everybody you know just sort of we, i think we, we did we gave the right opportunity for that audience created kind of a safe space right when we said well here's what i like and why uh it just invited them to do that too and they all they just kept coming i mean there was we had probably what 15 minutes of audience participation for every five minutes of us talking and uh, i think it was just the perfect thing to offer to that community right these yeah. are people who want to be asked what is your favorite book and why right uh, i mean not everybody is is that kind of nerdy but these these people were and it was great to hear about what they like our kind of them. people our <laughs> kind of people that's right yeah. Claire and his daughter props to them yeah 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 so if you could uh, say your favorite moment of that weekend what was your favorite moment of the fan expo weekend yeah, that shawarma that we had yeah, uh, yeah. Saturday night about two in the morning. <laughs> oh yeah, that's pretty. That's a pretty, pretty, pretty amazing tournament. <laughs> well, actually, to just talk about that evening, that was great. We went out for drinks. We, I think, we drank two or three different places. But also, we were book shopping at like ten o'clock at night at B and V Books on Bloor Street downtown in Toronto. Yep. That is one of my favorite bookstores in the world. Uh, and yeah, that was super fun to be looking at books that late at night. It just worked. And you I love stuff too. I I loved yeah. uh, like like Marty said. I really loved the um, that my daughter could could see William Shatner, you know, right beside. And when he came out of the of the when he left the booth or the the car, or the curtained area, she saw him leave and and um, you know understood that he was just up in space last week. And and this is the guy who was the captain in Star Trek. I thought that was very cool that she had that mm -hmm. close encounter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think for me too. Now that you mention it, my my favorite part of it was was seeing the the look in my children's eyes that their dad was cool again. Uh, <laughs> you know, like after they came to the panels and they saw us up there with Peter Watts, and and when I came back and on Sunday they they were only there on Saturday, but on Sunday I came back and told them about how our panel went. Uh, I had a moment where my teenage daughter was looking at me and and i felt like she loved me again and, you know, um, just for for doing something cool right uh, i mean nerdy cool not cool but but you know we're we're i think a family of of geeks and nerds enough that she she was adequately impressed uh with with our what we did there and and how we did it and who we met and yeah that was mm -hmm. great so i think one of my favorite moments was in the morning waiting for Peter and Carl outside in the, the garden area by the south entrance of the conference center. I was snapping little videos of like five and a half foot tall Darth Vader's yeah. and people dressed in costumes that I wouldn't don't even recognize. And it was great. Uh, and then to see Carl and then Peter and then to, to meet them for the first time was really, really cool. But I have to say anyone at Fan Expo, anyone listening that is going to be 
vending at Fan Expo, please bring something Planet of the Apes for me to purchase because I couldn't get a T-shirt. I couldn't get anything. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with this? So the, it's Planet of the injustice. Apes. Is, it's an injustice. Yeah. It's just not cool right now. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Well, we searched of- hard. We went through the whole vendor pavilion, and and the costumes were great. Like we were walking through there. That's when you're in like ground zero for cosplay, and and uh, oh, yeah. that was it was really pretty awesome to see some of the 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 work that goes into these. But yeah, there was no Planet of the Apes shirts. No, none at all. It's it's, uh, it's the is it the forgotten sci-fi franchise? I don't know. Yeah. I think it's just it's out of the loop for the next few years. I think there's going to yeah, be maybe. resurgence again sometime soon. Yeah. Well, speaking of T-shirts, I think actually another favorite moment of mine was when me and you, Tristan, we were in line waiting to talk to Robert Patrick, and and we realized like, okay, we're going to try to invite him on the show, but like we don't have anything with us. We don't have a card even like that that says, uh, you know, Tales from the Bridge. We don't have a magnet. We don't have like anything. We can just give him to as the invite, and then the light bulb went off. We're like, what? Wait, we have an extra T-shirt in the backpack right here, and so that was what we gave him as our as our card, our calling card. And he thought it was pretty cool. He showed it off a little bit. I mean, who knows? And maybe it'll just be uh, thrown out. Or, but if he does actually, you know, just glance at that shirt and decide to listen to the show sometime, that's already amazing. And oh my God, what if he actually wore it somewhere just as like a nerd thing? And some other people saw that shirt and were like, oh, I, I don't know. Yes. He How owns a Harley dealership, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, geek is cool. Geek is in. I mean, he's got to be. I mean, he's been a, a geek lord uh, for his entire career. So I'm sure. <laughs> geek <Yeah>. lord. <laughs> I mean, all his fans are nerds. Maybe, yeah. maybe not all of them. But, yeah. Well, overall, great weekend. I can't wait to do more. Of these kinds of uh, conferences and mm-hmm. yeah, next exhibits. time we're showing up with you know twenty extra shirts and we'll stand in all those lines and we'll we'll give shirts to everybody. Ah, uh, fan expo! I cannot wait for next year. That was so so much fun. So, were you there? Did you go to fan expo? Did you see us at the panel? Did you participate? Let us know. Email us. All right. Next episode, we are talking to Cory Doctorow, one of the most interesting people on planet Earth. Did you know that? Yeah. You should probably listen to that conversation. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Until next time.